welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast number 118. And I'm recording this on a Wednesday, the 19th of November 2014. I'm Steve Litchfield with me, Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Great to be here. It's amusing, actually, Rafe, listening to other podcasts where they all start in exactly the same vein and recording this on the date. And with me, I have, and I and maybe that's just a tried and tested formula, but uh, we must be doing something right, Rafe. Uh, I think it's good to introduce it because I know I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's helpful to have that reminder. We always uh, have the hope that there's someone listening for the very first time. And so having an introduction at the top's uh, a good thing to do. Hopefully it doesn't take up uh, too much time. Uh, we have got, I think it's fair to say, quite a few little stories to get through. And then we did think we'd talk about some sort of wider industry news. It sort of has a, a relevance to Windows Phone or at least what was its main manufacturer. I guess we'll trail that and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that when we get there. We might not have time, Ray. We might we have might far not. too much fun talking about Windows Phone. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I just must mention that there's a new um, developer preview update to those that are enrolled. I did notice with, with rather a, a bit of amusement, Rafe, that uh, Microsoft were claiming that uh, Windows Phone platform now has half a million developers. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, at least. 85% of those are geeks and enthusiasts around the world who have been enrolled in the, quote, developer preview program. I cannot imagine there are half a million actual Windows Phone developers out there. Do you? Yeah, I think those numbers are always a bit suspect. It's people maybe downloading SDKs or signing into various developer portals. I mean, I think the number of apps that get talked about now is in the region of 300,000, maybe a little bit more than that. And even if you assume it's just one developer creating each of those, which of course some developers will have multiple, some apps, sorry, will have multiple developers behind them. But of course, some developers release multiple apps. And so yeah. I actually think the sort of more realistic number to talk about is maybe in the region of 50,000 who have uh, created and released an app or been involved in an app that has actually made it onto the market in some ways. As you say, uh, part of that will come from the developer preview program, the numbers that Microsoft is talking about. I suspect if you uh, look back to some of the stats earlier in the year, um, around about 5% or 10%, depending on which numbers you look at, at the uh, install base had a go with the developer preview you could see that by the fact they were running windows phone 8.1 on their devices before the kind of the public release happened and if you assume that there's been about 50 million or so lumia devices uh signed up and there are of course some non-lumia devices as well that's the number certainly that microsoft talked about in the last couple of weeks in terms of activations you know that's actually an awful lot of people who've gone through the developer preview and quite where all these numbers come from. But yes, I think uh, <laughs> optimistic is probably the, the word. Uh, you see exactly the same thing on the other platforms. And yeah. uh, honestly, I think you still have to look at the quality and the number of apps and Windows Phone, as always, is going to be behind. We said it each and every time we talked about this, that the situation gets better every time. And I, I sort of remain convinced by that. I think it's probably fair to say there's still more new apps coming out for iOS and Android, but it's, you know, I guess you talk about the long tail in this situation, you know, the top hundred app or the top thousand apps. Um, there's probably fewer gaps now than there's ever been. Uh, but I think there's always going to be that gap, especially why, while Windows Phone is significantly behind, uh, Android and iOS in terms of kind of market or sale share. And although in, in some markets now it's, you know, past iPhone, in, in the big scheme of things, you know, you can probably talk about 5% versus 15% in terms of sales now. 
depends quite how you do your calculations, to be honest with you. Um, I'm talking Windows Phone, iOS, of course, Android is long, long way ahead. And the iOS sales are, are tend to be, of course, the high-end devices people more interested in. So actually kind of count for more than the Windows phone sales. So all of these numbers and that discussion goes on non. I actually think it, it's still going to be an issue for people are, who are really into their apps, but it's perhaps coming less an issue elsewhere. You get people arguing equally the other way, and I, I think you still have to count it as a major demerit on Windows phone site, but that's kind of a long-winded sidetrack. Sorry about that, Steve, and all the listeners as well. <laughs> That's proving there are lies, damn lies, and developer numbers there. <laughs> um, there yes, there is an update to the developer uh, preview program, so um, probably most people listening to this podcast are enrolled, and they'll probably already have seen it. Just a, a brief recap, you get a, a new battery sense shortcut, or optional, of course, on your action center, which is quite handy. Also, you get a, a even more useful a live tile that's actually updated, I think it's every minute, Ray, with showing you the percentage of battery you've got left. So I keep that as a, 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 a like a double wide tile on my on my home start screen. Um, and well, I think I call it, now this is difficult, Ray, because you get actually triple wide is six across. Double wide is two. So I guess I mean single wide, which is two across. I re- really wish Microsoft would standardize the, the nomenclature. I can't even say that. Microsoft would standardize, <laughs> Microsoft would standardize their naming scheme here. But uh, it's very, very useful. I keep it on my start screen. And finally, there's also a, a setting in phone update where you can get Windows Phone to automatically download, develop a preview, and indeed general firmware updates. Um, automatically, and yet, as with Windows on the desktop, it's set to 3 a.m., that ma- magical time of, y- of the day when all your laptops and tablets and phones come alive and download their Microsoft updates. So, uh, yes, yeah, so well worth getting anyway, and I certainly upgraded all my developer preview program devices. Yeah, like you said, it, it's worth having. It's interesting, this battery on the live tail is something I've seen requested multiple times, and there's been uh, various workarounds for it. So, I mean, similarly, we've had the comments about clocks and things on the live tiles on the home screen of course the battery level is visible on the device as well uh, most of the time and you can kind of swipe down to see the percentage level but there's a lot to be said for being able to have it on a live tile Uh, you know you can see it without wearing your glasses in my case so you can see what the battery level is not for everybody i actually thought that the thing i personally found most useful was being able to have battery saver on my uh, kind of notification swipe down on where you can kind of have the toggles to switch it on and off quickly because it is something I sometimes turn on even when my battery's at sort of 70 or 80 percent if I know I'm going to be away from a kind of power socket for a long time and kind of want to have that extra maintenance on, on battery life so that's a, a nice thing to have I mean by the same token, I use it for sort of uh, screen rotation and for projected screen. I've actually personally taken uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi off mine because actually I don't use them all that much and I put some of the other ones up, uh, up there. But uh, I guess those quick actions in the notification kind of drop down. It's a really handy thing. And now we're getting to the point where we actually have a few more to choose from. I kind of find myself wishing that I could fit a few more in. I guess that's uh, inevitable. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a nice little update. Um, of course, it's the usual caveats with this. So don't install it if you're not willing to, to be on the, the bleeding edge. Very unlikely, to be honest, to have any issues. I think sometimes the developer previews on the kind of the big updates, it's the battery issues. But uh, honestly, with these ones, I think it's much less of an issue, the kind of in-between ones. Um, so I don't really have any hesitation in recommending installing this if you're you know, in any way sort of interested in having kind of the latest stuff to play with. So, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a nice little update. 
Yeah, yeah. And talking of being on the bleeding edge, um, in beta, technically, although it's still pretty darn stable, uh, Microsoft joined the video editing party in Windows Phone 8.1 with Movie Creator, which I've been had a really a long play with a few days ago, and I wrote it up as a full review, even though it was a beta product, and even though it was free, and everybody else could grab it as well. But it, I'm so... Uh, uh, au fait with video editing on my phone show work that I thought, well, I, I can really give this a good worker. And believe me, there's a lot of depth to this. Um, for each individual element you put into a video um, project, so that's photos or video, there's all sorts of things you can do in terms of captions, filtering, rotation, pan and zoom, trim, volume. And it's all really nicely and intuitively done. You tag as much media as you want. It all gets auto-added. And then you go through and you yeah, edit the appropriate attributes to each individual part of your project. And then when you're happy, you choose the resolution from about 15 or 20 different output resolutions under the advanced dialog. Uh, and then you're done. And that saves it to the camera roll. So it really, really works nicely. I think it's my favorite video editor on Windows Phone so far. And the, my only caveat would I'd say that um, that you can't add transitions. And occasionally, if you've got two scenes that are wildly different, sometimes you, you need a transition, a gentle fade out and a gentle fade in, for example. But as soon as they've added transitions, I think we'll have a real winner here. And I, I kind of fear for the um, third-party video editors who might, might be feeling a bit miffed at this point that Microsoft has come into the party with such a heavyweight title. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, it's interesting whether video editing is something that should be done by uh, Microsoft. I mean, we're assuming that this is actually out of kind of the uh, Nokia studio that does all the image editing, editing stuff. I um, haven't actually got confirmation on that. Of course, it's now part of Microsoft. Um, but they've produced a whole series of great imaging software and apps over the years. Um, what struck me particularly about this one was just the fact that it was very easy to use. Putting off video editing on a smartphone, you know, it's been around for, you know, going right back to the kind of Symbian era, there have been options to do it and admittedly relatively basic. And of course, it's available on Android and iOS as well. And again, in third party form and also some sort of various attempts to do this by, by the mainstream players or phone manufacturers. But this is one of the better ones because it's relatively simple and it works. I, I think how most people would expect to edit video. Um, it does mean it perhaps lacks the flexibility of some offerings and there are some bits missing. I mean, Stu talked about transitions there. Um, I'd also talk about the fact it's a limited set of actions mean that you're, the, the videos you're going to produce, you know, you're not going to be pr producing, you know, an Oscar worthy piece of uh, film here, <laughs> but for producing kind of that home video or putting something together to celebrate, but it work, works really well. I mean, I would still like to see some kind of automated, you know, video summaries being produced. And that's sort of what's, you know, they're trying to do with some of the other apps that are available but I, i've yet to see it done as effectively as um the htc zoe product um and actually on the htc windows phone devices it's available as video highlights and that's something i think works really well because it's sort of zero effort the thing about using uh, this movie create software is you it, it does require quite a lot of work on your part you have to collect all the videos together which okay fine you probably got those but to then actually go and edit each one of them i mean the what comes out at the end will be your perfect creation. At least I hope so. Um, but it, it, it's still quite a lot of effort. And I wonder how many people actually bother to do that on a smartphone versus, you know, just playing back the one video that they, you know, they captured rather than, you know, yeah. putting a, a whole bunch together. But I really think it deserves credit for being very easy to use, you know, things like being able to trim it very accurately to have the pan and the zoom. 
the ability to, you know, pick colors and things like that. Actually, what's interesting is it kind of goes away a little bit from some of the typical Windows phone design principle at first glance. You know, it doesn't feel like some Windows phone apps, you know, that very uh, set to a particular template. But as you use it more, you actually realize that the same use of things like pivots and typography and, you know, the lack of Chrome that is such a hallmark of Windows Phone is present here. So it's also a, a great app maybe for developers to look at and say, you know, you don't have to be tied to the pre-existing templates. You can actually use something that's, you know, still very respectful of those guiding principles, uh, yet allows the freedom to have a, a user interface and experience that really fits the task at hand. I think, Quite rightly, some Windows phone apps are, are criticized for being on that same format, you know, kind of that magazine style with the you know, emphasis on typography. It, I, I'm not saying that's not still here, but it, it you know, it's impressive. And um, I'd actually recommend developers have a look at it just for that reason alone, as well as you know, everyone who wants to do a bit of video editing. This is probably going to be your preferred option now on Windows phone. Yeah, there's certainly no shortage of video editing options anyway. There's, there's at least three other third-party titles, all of reasonable maturity. So it's, you pay your money, it takes a choice, and certainly Absolutely. start with the free ones and work out from there. Um, I wanted to give a brief shout-out to a game. Um, I don't often do this on the podcast, but Riptide GP2 is absolutely stunning. If you look up, bring up the review, Rafe, and look at some of the screenshots, and then just imagine that in real time. They've, the developers have created this whole set of uh, uh, wonderfully drawn, detailed landscapes that you can race through uh, instead of a cana- race through canals, and there's spray and there's the, the swell of the water going from side to side and the noise. Um, it's all quite stunning. And, and not just the fact that the game itself is a really good water-based racing game with stunning graphics, which incidentally you can scale back on the lower performance devices, but uh, on the higher performance devices with the, like the 1020, for example, with the two gig of RAM, it really is stunning graphics. Um, quite apart from that, there's also the fact that they've gone down, which I think is probably the, the, the best way of monetizing a game for a developer. You, you put it out with a commercial price to start off with. In this case, it's £2 in the UK. So there is there is some money going to the developers there. Not It's not a premium. It's not like 5 or £6 or £7. It's £2. And on top of that, you can you can play the game. You can get quite quite a long way. You can have a lot of fun if you want to. You know, I love this game. It's the best thing since sliced bread. I want to have my own decals and uh, my own color schemes on my favorite, whatever they're called, the things you raise on. And then you can go through the in-app purchases, and then you can do more customization and have more fun. And I I, I kind of take um, the developers a task. They've they've done this, done this silly freemium thing premium thing of catching up the un- catching the unwary by putting in a, a, a 80 pound in-app purchase which no one's ever going to do let's let's face it i think they really should cap these things but uh, the general principle of having a, a, a modest purchase price plus some in- in-app purchases purchases i think gives the the best of both worlds to the both the user and the developer and i'm very happy to recommend it as such yeah i mean i, I think you're right from a pure straightforward view of and what I'd like to see as a, as a consumer, I do wonder whether this works as a business model, because part of the reason for doing freemium is you can then be listed in the free section of the app store, which um, for obvious reasons gets a lot more downloads. Of course, it, it then becomes a question of engagement. You know, do people engage more with your, your game if they, you know, the limitations on freemium tends to be you can maybe have 30 minutes of gameplay before you really are going to have to start coughing up money to progress in a serious way or, or wait long, long periods of time. And Obviously, that depends on the 
the balance of the game and uh, credit to the developers who uh, you know probably give away too much and therefore make it great for people who just want to have a free ride um, but I have every sympathy for the developers who actually are a bit more pushy about sort of pushing the in-app purchases and then of course there, there's this model as you say um, kind of a little bit up front and then more in-app purchases I and mean, some people may balk at that kind of thing but if that sort of gives you maybe a couple of hours more gameplay to start with I think that's that's fair enough, but I, I wonder if they get enough visibility in the App Store. I mean, it'd be interesting maybe to talk to the developers a bit further down the road. I, I know I've talked to some who said, you know, they too like that idea, but find it very hard to market because they kind of have the worst of, you know, having to pay for an app and, you know, without really the, the benefits of being completely free and there's still the in-app purchases which people complain about. Um, but, you know, credit credit to them for trying, and certainly I think you get more downloads for a two pound game than you would for a six or seven pound game, and so you know, maybe there is a middle ground to be had here. I think it's interesting this this sort of area and the whole business model around games is is still very much evolving. Um, I mean, uh, talking to some developers, you know, you can try for volume by going free and doing ads, but they were saying to me that's working less well just because the revenue you can get from ads is going down there's so much competition around games you know it's very hard to create a hit free ad supported game and it's it's more down down to luck and so some of them were saying to me this was at a recent developer conference that it was almost better for them to go for the freemium option with in-app purchase or the commercial route because although they would be less likely to have the hit game they could sort of guarantee themselves a level that was at least sustainable if they worked hard and, and, and tried hard and so it became less of a lottery so i suspect we will see more games doing this in the future um just because although it may be uh trades off that chance of having the really big hit and of course it is still there um it, it's about you know creating a sustainable work for developers and after all when you're creating you know, great stuff for people to use actually we want to find something that will work long term because otherwise you'll get to the situation where you know developers will just give up on the platform um i don't think we're anything like there at the moment there's still kind of this gold rush mentality but certainly there has been perhaps just a little step back from the you know the days where it's oh you'll be able to make easy money as a game developer and i don't think there ever was that opportunity um but there's sort of some more realism coming into the app economy in general i think yes worth noting also that riptide gp2 is actually a universal app and actually works also on the uh, the the Windows 8.1, I guess you'd call it, and I wonder, Rafe, whether you might perhaps run it up on one of those devices at some point and have a play on, oh, on the big I'll, screen. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a go, because in a lot of cases, and I'd have to check on this particular one, you can actually have the uh, game on both devices for the you know, cost of just buying it on yeah. one. Microsoft has done that with the Halo game, for example, and that's yeah. you know another reason to add value, and it's come back, it comes back to that cross-device thing that we've talked about on previous podcasts. Absolutely. Um, we'd like to race through a few more applications here. Wolfram Alpha, which most people will know as a, a scientific and maths-based kind of search engine and calculation engine online, used by, uh, of course, many other services, notably Google and Bing, I think, or MSN now, or whatever you call it this, this week. They all kind of use Wolfram Alpha for certain tasks. And uh, there's now an official Wolfram Alpha application for Windows Phone. I've been, uh, I, I bought it this afternoon, been, uh, did a review on the site today. Um, it's really quite impressive in, in a sense that, yes, the whole Wolfram Alpha engine is still relatively slow, 
you can type in a, a complicated expression and it might take two or three seconds to come back. For example, we're used to Google just providing instant answers for text searches, but you have to kind of recognize this is doing more with it. It's not only recognizing the words and looking for matches. It's actually trying to understand what you've typed in. Um, so, for example, I, one of my you can do integrate sine x over x um, minus log of one point six to the power of five, or something really complicated, and it comes still comes back with something that's right that has been integrated, and there's the expression plus a constant, um, and it does it in three or four seconds. Like you can't really argue with that. It's doing some very very clever stuff. Uh, the difference here between um, just using the Wolfram Alpha app in Windows Phone. And using that, then Wolfram Alpha mobile website is that here you get the full use of the screen. Don't have a browser address bar. Uh, you can get the multiple keyboards, custom keyboards that slide in on top of the standard Windows Phone keyboard, which is really interesting. Ray, you've got five different keyboards, every single math symbol known to man, every Greek Greek letter, alpha, beta, um, gamma, delta, epsilon, all that, um, and basically anything you'd ever want to write into an equation. So you can put it, it could do textual constructs. So, for example, you know, uh, element number 106 is one of my searches. I wanted to find out what, the, what it tells you all about that particular element in the periodic table of elements. You can type in uh, how many grams, how many grams of fat in 100 grams of chocolate was another of mine. And it did that as well. Plus, it did really complicated sums and really complicated scientific inquiries. Um, it's got a history of your past queries. You can go, if you t- did something a week ago and you think, what, which what, what calculation did I do? And what was the answer? You can go back and reevaluate it. Um, and of course, you, there's, a, there's a browser where you can browse in through every single category uh, and every single domain, as Wolfram Alpha calls it, all the different types of expression, the types of calculation, the types of information it contains. And, and it really usefully, it contains example queries for every single subcategory as well. So you can really follow your nose and think, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And then you could try a few examples of your own. So um, in a sense, it only offers a, a few things over the using the Wolfram Alpha in a, a web browser. But once you actually get into it, for the sake of a couple of pounds, it's a really useful resource to have on your Windows phone. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised I'll see talking about doing equations on his phone after he was so nasty about photo math in a previous um, post, <laughs> sort of saying that it had little practical use. But actually, right, because you can do a lot more complex yeah. kind of computation with Wolfram Alpha, and actually it's the ease of being able to enter pretty much whatever you like with this custom keyboard, which I don't think I've seen in too many apps, so it's kind of nice to see it implemented. Uh, I'm assuming there's some kind of custom control here, um, with a recreation of the keyboard, uh, and you know, it works well from the screenshots that I've seen, and the fact that it's you know, spread over multiple pages. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting way of implementing it. And as Steve was talking about there, the demos that you get, or rather the examples, do make it really easy to see what sort of things are available. Wolfram Alpha is a really clever piece of technology, and we've seen the similar kind of queries start to appear in the mainstream search engines in terms of the uh, the natural language and being able to do calculations, but nothing like to the same level. And so it's certainly, if you're doing these kind of things regularly, a nice thing to have in your, your toolkit, whether you're using it via the web or the app. And I think this is a classic case of where um, it's worth having the app because it just makes it a bit quicker to use. And you know, if you're using Wolfram Alpha, it's probably something that you're using on a regular basis. And so having the app and perhaps a live tile on your home screen uh, makes a lot of sense. And it's able to do the kind of 
probably quite niche calculations that some people will be performing maybe on a regular basis whereby they might have a you know a niche app that is available on other platforms but probably not on windows phone but you can do it using uh wolfram alpha in this app and it's maybe not the most efficient way to do it but rather than having to carry around various reference books with you or remember how to do the calculations manually so it's, it's a really nice thing to have so yeah a thumbs up from me as well yeah, one of the things, incidentally, that Wolfram Alpha can do on Windows Phone is uh, you can use the, the might, the enormous power behind Wolfram Alpha to, quote, flip a coin. <laughs> you just type in flip, flip coin into Wolfram Alpha and it gives you a heads or a tails according to some random number gen- generator. However, it takes five or six seconds to do it. There is a much faster way of doing it now if you're in the UK and several other markets. And of course, if you're in the USA, um, Cortana, uh, for anyone on Windows Phone 8.1, Update one, uh, certainly in, in the UK, um, can now just um, say flip a coin into Cortana um, and it will flip a coin. You can say roll the dice and it will roll the dice for you and give you a, a number between one and 12 and actually show you the dice as if, as if it had rolled them inside its own frame. So that's really, really rather a nice thing because we're forever losing the dice on board games in our family, Rafe. Um, it, we can also do things like this is kind of a standard thing, I guess, from the we've seen um, mentioned on stage by Microsoft, things like define and then get the word you want to define. The example here was define awesome. So it gives you a dictionary definition. So you can basically use it as an as online dictionary, a vocal dictionary. Uh, you can ask it about exercises and health things like what is a crunch? In this case, it's a, a particular sort of a stomach exercise. All sorts of things that we've been hearing about from the USA people who have been fans of Cortana. Uh, they're now starting to appear, being rolled out server-side by Microsoft, people in the UK and other markets. I think maybe, is it India as well, and uh, Australia, and a few, and, a few other, and China? Um, so plenty to look forward to. If, if some of these things don't work in your Cortana, wherever you li- are in the world listening to this, then just be patient, because it's all happening server-side. One day you'll speak to Cortana, and it will recognize something it didn't recognize the previous day, which is a trifle confusing, but at least we know that Microsoft's doing all the work, and there's no work that uh, the poor user has to do, Rafe. Yeah, no, I mean, Cortana is a new function, as you say, it's all, all server-side. Um, it just makes me look forward to the Lumia Denim update where some of the more recent devices, I think it's the high-end ones, the 930. I think it's also the 830 as well as the 15 and the 1520 are going to get the ability to say, hey, Cortana, um, and completely hands-free activate this kind of functionality. So you could have your phone sitting on a desk somewhere, say, hey, Cortana, define brilliant. And it will give you the uh, definition for, for brilliant without you having to touch the phone, as well as all these other flipper coin. And obviously in Steve's household where they're losing dice, being able to uh, roll the dice without even having to touch the phone, he won't get into trouble <laughs> for using his smartphone when he's meant to be in family time. Yeah, and well, you do have to touch the phone briefly to start Cortana off because if the screen's locked, then you've got to un- at least this press the button yeah, to, to you're kind of, the screen. You're kind of spoiling yeah. my story, but yeah, <laughs> that, that's absolutely right. Yeah, um, I did update my look at Twitter clients, Rafe. Uh, the previous week, I'd covered the official Twitter client, me tweets, and Peregrine, and a few clever dicks, of course, popped up and said, "Hang on one minute, Steve. What about Twabit?" I thought, "Yes, well, okay, let's put Twab." I used to use Twabit a long time ago, and it had actually disappeared from the store for a while, but it's back, and it's back in full Windows Phone 8.1 compatible form. So I've now added that to my table and also updated all the descriptions and the unique selling points and my verdict and so forth. And screenshots. And I also added one a product which I don't know whether you played with, Ray. It's called Tweetium. It is, I think it's basically started out as a Windows um, 8.1, i.e. on a laptop, desktop, etc., a Twitter client. But it's also done as a universal app, I think. It's certainly available for Windows Phone now in, quote, beta form. 
And I would say it's the most polished of the lot. Um, the reason I picked it is the winner of all five Twitter clients, uh, even though it's not actually out of beta yet, partly that it manages the, 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 the polling of the Twitter servers and the, the Twitter streaming. I don't quite understand how this works at the, at the base level, but it, it manages it in a really slick, fast way such that you can go back into Tweetium and within a couple of seconds, it has not only updated tweets, it's taken you to the top of the timeline, which is behavior I really like. So what you'll, you see when you open the application is exactly what has just been done a few seconds ago. Oh, You're is- always seeing something at that's absolutely bang up to date. And the second reason I picked it as the winner, apart from the, the, the sheer number of themes and the glossiness and the smoothness and the look of it, is the fact that um, it's got the option to not only hide the Windows Phone status bar at the top of the screen, you can minimize the toolbar at the bottom. And so many Windows Phone applications leave you with like a letterbox a set of scrolling pane in the middle of the screen with controls all around it. This gets all of those gets all of those these things out of the way, so you've got a nice large timeline to swipe around in. So, uh, Tweetium was my winner, but I'm interested in your opinion too, Rafe. Well, as I said in the the last podcast, I'm still using a kind of the official Twitter client, but hearing you talk about Tweetium and particularly maximizing space and that uh, ability to have tweets appear just a few seconds after loading it when you switch back to it makes me think I'm going to go and download this beta and you know get, buy the uh, version for for one ninety nine. Um, I guess with all of these uh, these Twitter clients, you, you at least have the, the choice of choosing from several. It's kind of encouraging that despite Twitter's best efforts, there are, is actually still a market for third-party um, Twitter clients, particularly on the commercial side. People are obviously finding that they're able to charge money for them. I think it's 129 for Twabit and 129 for me tweets. Um, you know, as a uh, someone who uses Twitter you know, a fair bit day to day to kind of keep up with, uh, it's breaking news and maybe showing the old thought as well. Um, it's actually as much about work, to be honest, as anything else, um, and maybe less on the personal side. Yes, I'm I'm willing to invest in this, and so um, having had Steve's recommendation for tweeting, I think I'm just going to have to go and uh, uh, not 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 try anything else out myself just yet, and follow your recommendation. Right, we do have an, uh, a kind of off-topic thing to chat about at the end of the podcast. But before before we do that, I just want to get you. Yeah, you mentioned toilets. Now I know people have saying this podcast has been going down the toilet over the last few years, but you're going to do that uh, just literally. So if you could get if you could do that while I prepare the last topic. Yeah, well, we are actually recording this on on Wednesday, the nineteenth of November, and for those that don't know. Yes, it's actually International Toilet Day. Now, you, before I, everyone thinks I've gone completely barmy, there is a Windows phone connection to this. I actually uh, was uh, minding my own business when I got some posts and opened it up to find that someone had sent me a toilet roll. And I was sort of going, uh, what's this about then? And I was, you know, I have to admit, somewhat concerned for my, my sanity. Um, but actually this was to promote uh, a Windows phone app, which I'm, very happy to be able to do on this podcast. It's actually from uh, Matt Lacey, who runs the kind of Windows developer group here in London. And in fact, this app is promoting a charity, uh, Toilet Twinning. And the idea of this is to kind of encourage people to give money to charity in order that people can get access to clean sanitation. And this uh, app's actually been created using the, the Microsoft App Studio. And actually, Matt's done an interesting blog post which we'll link to in the show notes which talks about um how easy it is to create an app and whether you can actually really create an app that's worthy of the windows phone store using this tool and without kind of spoiling it too much i think the conclusion is it's not quite there yet you can do certain types of apps but whether they're really useful to download is more open to debate 
Matt was also doing this in order to sort of try and play with the idea that developers can do something useful, you know, for the world, not just create apps. So I thought that was a little harsh on himself, but he said, there's several ways you can do this. You know, you maybe create a, a game or do something directly linked to the charity, you know, to, to raise money, or you can just generate awareness. And this is what this uh, toilet twinning app's all about. And I'd encourage you to download the app, give it a go, and then obviously follow through with that and maybe go for a, a toilet twinning of your own. You can sign up to have your toilet twin with one somewhere else in the world. And it's uh, really an excuse or motivation to give money to charity. But there's a serious message behind all of this and that actually more people have access to the internet and to a mobile phone than actually have access uh, to a toilet uh, that's, you know, clean and, uh, and I say, sanitation. So it's something I just wanted to mention. So that's my excuse for mentioning my toilet. And uh, thanks very much to, <laughs> for Matt Lacey for, for sending over what's got to be the most unusual review item ever. I have to admit, I'm probably not going to be writing about the toilet roll on the uh, site itself, but I will report back in a future podcast to see whether it measures up to the Andrex that's currently sitting on my toilet roll. You, you can see me doing some high-resolution Lumia 1020 photographs, the toilet roll, surely. Uh, if I, uh, I can make anything look sexy. Uh, absolutely, I can. So, uh, But yeah, it's a great <laughs> idea. And actually, just a really clever way to reach out to develop. It's a, a fantastic cause. And as I say, International World Toilet Day today. Um, and get out there and, and give it support. Always happy to kind of promote an app like that. It's kind of refreshing to be able to talk about something a little bit different. And uh, hopefully a bit of a surprise for everyone listening to the podcast as well. You're giving me so many slinky links, Ray. Talking of something different, <laughs> um, we just wanted to mention this very briefly. Um, Nokia has released a new bit of hardware. No, it's nothing whatsoever to do with Windows Phone. That's why we wanted to mention it, to make it clear that it was nothing whatsoever to do with Windows Phone. But it's still of interest. And it will, it's probably the first and last time we'll ever mention this device uh, or even the platform, um, in terms of what <laughs> Nokia do with it on this podcast. But the Nokia N1 has been announced. It's basically an Android tablet. So it seems to be iPod mini sized. Um, it's 32 gig of storage internal. I don't believe it's expandable. Two gig of RAM. It, it looks a fairly generic Android tablet. But it, the, the, the clear selling point, I guess you'd say, from the Android point of view, is that it's got the Nokia Z launcher which is quite distinctive and quite unusual so um it's not coming out until february 2015 and that's only in china so i'm not sure we'll see this in the western world anytime soon but it, it's certainly interesting that nokia as a company is getting back into the hardware game Rafe. yeah it is i mean the reason i wanted to mention this is because there's been a lot of talk about nokia doing a comeback and we've mentioned before that they say can't get back into smartphones there's the non-compete clause with uh, Microsoft until 2016. And so, you know, there was talk of could they do other consumer electronic devices? And at their recent Capital Markets Day, they identified the Nokia brand as something that's still very valuable. And of course, we've talked about how Microsoft has switched away from the Nokia brand towards the kind of the Lumia brand and Microsoft Lumia rather than Nokia Lumia, as has previously been on their devices. Uh, I don't think you can necessarily connect the two, but you can understand why Microsoft wants to kind of establish that, you know, because it was always going to be a, a, a dead end for them but you can completely understand and it's um I, I guess there was a closing window for nokia to take advantage of in order to you know kind of keep that brand in people's minds in terms of consumer electronics and if you can't do phones tablets is kind of a logical way to go and they've actually said that there's going to be a lot more products to come and not just in the tablet space so i wonder whether we might see you know things around perhaps even wearables or you know smart watches and then obviously phones once that non-compete clause expires it's an interesting one because you, I mean, I noticed on social media, we had, you know, people kind of being enthusiastic about each side. 
and you know, claiming it to be the true legacy of Nokia, be it a Windows phone device or this Nokia N1, I actually think it's kind of celebrate both because they're both doing uh, great work. And honestly, the company was split down the middle. And one of the kind of giveaways for this is, is actually this N1 device has effectively come out of the advanced technology division of Nokia. Now, this was kind of the research labs plus some bits around patents plus some other bits that didn't go to to Microsoft. But of course, all the production, all the customer support, most of the design, most of the software developers actually went to Microsoft and continued to create Lumia devices. And so as a result, um, Nokia isn't the company it once was. And sort of pretending otherwise is a bit misleading, which is why this device is actually being made by Foxconn in China, the same company that makes a lot of the Apple products. And actually, it's interesting that the product design does bear, I think it's fair to say, a close resemblance to the iPad mini um you know, Nokia are very good at design as well, so you have to maybe give them the benefit of, of, of the doubt here. And after all, there's only so many ways you can combine gas and metal together. But the interesting bit of it for me is that um, Foxconn is actually going to be providing the customer support. It's going to be doing the sales. It's going to be dealing with the warranty. It's going to be dealing with kind of the extended intellectual property. What's coming from Nokia is the design itself, the brand, and then the kind of the integration software terms, so making Android run on this Nokia design, plus, of course, the Z launcher that Steve's talked about. And so it's not a, a Nokia device, perhaps in the traditional sense. It's not going to be made in a, a Nokia factory, but it certainly has some of the um, DNA that was in the previous Nokia phones, just as you know the Microsoft Lumia devices have it. I would actually say personally, I would consider the Lumia devices to have more just because they are the kind of direct descendants of, you know, what was the, the Nokia mobile phone division. This is kind of coming out of another bit of Nokia. But it's worth remembering that a lot of the kind of experimental prototype stuff actually did come out of those same Nokia labs. So when you talk about things like accelerometer sensors, they were pioneered in the Nokia lab, as well as a lot of the kind of um, sports tracking, sport fitness applications. Uh, sports Tracker, one of the most uh, well-known ones, came out of the Nokia Labs. And there are other bits of software. And actually, we've just had Wellmo launch in the last week for, I think it's iOS and Android. And that actually came out of the wellness software that the Nokia Lab produced and was on, on Symbian devices as well. So it's kind of the next chapter of Nokia. And you've got you know various people competing as to say, what's the true legacy of Nokia? For me, they both are in different ways. But I think it's important to appreciate this N1 is a very different kind of device. Um, it was kind of evident in the way it's going to launch in China. It's, to begin with, it doesn't have Google services. It will launch in other markets, and Nokia said it will get the Google services later on. Um, but the whole launch didn't feel quite as slick as um, Nokia used to manage. You know, for example, some of the stuff in terms of the press release going out first, the press images not coming at the same time, so the way some of the interviews were handled. And it just speaks to the fact that actually the part of Nokia that had the experience doing that has kind of gone to Microsoft. Um, but nonetheless, it's a really intriguing device. You know, the design looks absolutely fantastic. Um, I think a lot of people will like the idea of a true uh, Nokia Android tablet. You know, we kind of got toe in the water with the Nokia X, but this is something a bit different. The $249 price looks uh, pretty attractive. Um, there's some nice touches in terms of the hardware, having the reversible Type-C uh, USB port on it seems to me to be a very good idea. But I, I think there's still massive scope for um consumer confusion around you know who's doing what and the kind of the new nokia the old nokia the, the microsoft lumia um and you know i think the critics of, of nokia will 
deem this a bit opportunistic and they're just kind of leveraging their brand and some of the design skills. And I think that's probably a bit harsh. But at the same time, those who claim that this is kind of the, the Nokia rebirth, a big deal, are also missing the point as well. I think there's perhaps a middle ground. And um, while uh, if I was Microsoft, I'd be very worried about this sort of taking off and kind of providing brand confusion and sort of inevitably going to be negative commentary around this. At the same time, I think probably be realistic about the ambitions for this device. It's going to be an incredibly competitive space. We just see Yola, another kind of hardware company that effectively came out of uh, Nokia's also announced a, a crowdfunded tablet as well. Again, it looks pretty attractive design. But uh, I did want to mention it because I think a lot of people listening to this are very fond of the Nokia hardware and have a lot of history in kind of the Nokia world as well. And there's going to be inevitable interest around this. But as you say, it's, it, it's going to be a while before we see it. It's going to be in select markets to begin with. And it'll be really interesting to see whether that business model of licensing the brand and the design and some of the patents and technology can really work. I mean, bear in mind that a lot of the expertise did go off to Microsoft. So all the imaging teams, for example, the PureView technology. Uh, Nokia, of course, retains the patents. Microsoft kind of has long-term rights to that. But having the patents doesn't actually mean you've got the team that can implement it. And so I wouldn't have thought the imaging on this will necessarily be at the level of traditional Nokia devices, for example, very early to say we can't really talk about it in detail. Um, but it's uh, kind of a bit of a long-winded uh, thought piece on that. Um, I, I'm kind of really intrigued, and of course, um, I like to see these new things happen. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of I temper that with getting too excited because I realise the business model is very different to what Nokia was doing before. This is a kind of a licensing model, and I wonder how sustainable that is particularly when you're competing against companies who are controlling things end to end it, it feels to me like a way to extract value from the nokia brand that said turn it around look at it the other way could this be sort of the equivalent for foxconn or some other oem to kind of do what uh, hdc very successfully did sort of over the last you know seven or eight years and emerged from being a device manufacturer for other people you know hdc did microsoft devices they did uh, palm devices they did a whole bunch of devices for operators and uh, gradually through things like uh, the hdc brand they built it up and now kind of become a well-known recognized manufacturer um, i think there's perhaps scope for something similar to happen between Nokia and Foxconn, particularly if they can sort of combine the things together, it, it just strikes me that seems to be the less likely scenario than, you know, taking the brand, taking some of the kind of kudos that's been built up around it, just using that to, to sell a few devices, because there will, of course, be a backlash if something doesn't work on the consumer support side, or something doesn't happen quite right, or it sh doesn't ship in a timely fashion pricing, all that kind of thing. Um, but in a way, it's kind of um, the next chapter in the story with uh, Nokia starting to um, create hardware again, even if it's not perhaps shipping it directly itself. Um, I, I suspect there'll be many eyes over in Redmond in the, in the kind of the Microsoft OI offices in Finland, keeping a close eye on what they get up to in the next six months, especially as there's going to be more devices and kind of more licensing of this brand to come. And they will be ever keener to uh, push the Lumia and the Microsoft brand forward, particularly in those markets where Nokia maintains kind of, a, a, you know, it has value left. I think yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. So um, intriguing and probably a little off topic for this podcast, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. Of course, the, the chaps over at Microsoft OI in, in Finland are probably also keeping a wary eye on the, the Yola tablet, Absolutely. which is also announced a couple of days ago. So there's plenty happening in that space. But this is a, 
a Windows Phone podcast race. So I, bet, I guess we better keep on topic. And uh, if you've got any comments and things you'd like, to, uh, like us to talk about, then do please get in touch. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week on the podcast. It's goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. And thanks, everybody, for listening.